Recovery Elevator, episode 224. I think a lot of people feel like, you know, a lot of things happen to us. We're the mm -hmm. victims of our lives. But I felt like this happened for me for a reason. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. If this is your first time listening, nice job. Congratulations. It takes courage to listen to a podcast that talks about what's holding you back. And for this podcast, that would be alcohol. So welcome to the podcast. Life is about to get awesome. On today's podcast, we've got Gerald. He's 50 years old from Boulder, Colorado. He's been sober since November 16th, 2015. In this episode, he talks about how his DUI was the best thing that could have ever happened to him. And I want to say, Justin, thanks for listening. I know you had four months earlier. You said it was the best four months of your life. I know you're kind of struggling with it now. I just want to say, you can do this. We're all here with you. And hey guys, I know I've said the Asia Adventure trip, that registration is going to go live on July 1st. Well, I got everything set up. Um, so I just said, let's do this. Registration is now open as of today on Monday for this epic legendary trip that's going to take place January 20th to January 31st. Go to recoveryelevator.com for the full itinerary, but a quick synopsis. We're going to fly into Bangkok, check out that crazy cool city for a couple of days. I've been there before. It is phenomenal. Um, then we're going to cruise up north to some national parks. We're going to go to a place called Elephant World, hang out with some elephants, perhaps wash an elephant. Then we're going to cruise into Cambodia, check out one of the most prolific, famous archaeological sites of all time, Angkor Wat. We're going to learn something about impermanence. So this trip, you guys, it's going to be incredible. And you know why? Well, it's you. It's the attendee. It's you and the others and myself. We're all going to make this incredible. The sights, the sounds, the locations, the foods, the hotels, etc. That's all secondary. The recovery workshops that we've got built in, but just more importantly, the connections that you're going to make, the conversations you're going to have with others, that is what's going to be the most amazing part of this trip. So registration is now open at recoveryelevator.com. Okay, let's get started. In Cafe RE the other morning, we had a fantastic webinar. It was 6 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, but we got people logging in on the on the West Coast. It's like 5 a.m., and there's a group of us doing these webinars. They're so much fun. And the host, Odette, who's been on this podcast before, she is a sobriety warrior. She's going to get on this podcast again in the future. I asked her to get come back on. Excited to have her back on. Anyways, she brought a fantastic topic to the webinar. Um, that was a Cherokee parable about the two inner wolves, which was the inspiration for the hit 80s Duran Duran song, Hungry Like a Wolf. Actually, I can't back that up, but I'm guessing it had something to do with that. Okay, so here's the story. An old Cherokee is teaching his grandson about life. He says to the boy, a fight is going on inside me. It is a terrible fight and it is between two wolves. One is evil. He is anger, envy, sorrow, regret, greed. Arrogance, self-pity, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, and ego. And then the Cherokee chief says to his grandson, The other wolf, however, is good. He is joy, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, empathy, generosity, truth, compassion, faith, and loves third eye blind. Okay, we all know the chief uh, didn't say that about third eye blind, but... 
If you were around today, probably would have. So I'm just going to throw it in there. Okay, so the same fight is going inside you and inside every other person, including the Recovery Elevator podcast host, Paul Churchill. Yes, I do also have two inner wolves and a standard poodle named Ben. So the grandson thought about this for a minute and then asked his grandfather, the Cherokee chief, well, which one will win? The old Cherokee simply replied, the one you feed. Ooh, okay, the one you feed. Well, easy. Let's just uh, end this episode. Let's feed the good one. Okay, I'm kidding. Not that easy. I wish it were. So let's begin unpacking this old parable. First off, even though the chief calls one wolf evil, one wolf good, I encourage you please refrain from the good wolf, bad wolf talk. There is a particular wolf we want to feed. Spoiler alert, it's, it's the good wolf, um, but they are both equally important. That's why I'm saying let's try to stay away from the good wolf, bad wolf labels because they're both equally important. We need them both. Okay, we are all feeding wolves and most people throw hunks of beef to the evil wolf and here's why. It's so much easier to feed this first wolf. The reason why is its source of energy doesn't require much action, really any action at all. This first wolf, the evil wolf, feeds off laziness, procrastination, indolence, ignorance, and gives up on everything in life. This wolf wants to feel inferior. It sinks its teeth into lies and resentments like rawhide. Okay, that was easy. So when this wolf gets thirsty, it drinks booze. Yeah, you saw that one coming a mile away. There's also no effort required to do any of those things that I just mentioned. And you're getting the reward with the sensation of relieving and instant gratification without doing much action at all. So now let's talk about feeding the second wolf, which is quite different. It's picky. It's harder to feed. It's challenging. It's tiring and time-consuming. If this wolf is going to be fed, it involves learning, being inspired, seeking out help from others, sharing, or sticking to a new behavior. And this wolf crave has been yearning for, starts with an S, ends with obriety. This wolf craves an alcohol-free life. But we know that is the more difficult route to take, the more rewarding in the long run, but again, the more challenging at first. So these things take so much energy, effort, momentum, and guts, courage. And you usually don't see immediate results from them. So just the thought of eliminating alcohol alone makes most people say, no way, I'm going to be feeding the other wolf. But you, and I don't know you personally, but I know this much about you, the fact you're listening to this podcast, an audio file that takes courage to explore and listen to, tells me that you, the listener, have decided to feed or explore feeding the second wolf. Nice job. So you might be wondering, why is the second wolf important after what you just covered? Well, they're both important because they both exist. They both are. And they're both inside of you. As Carl Jung says, what you resist persists. So these are important because you have to have both sides. You need darkness for there to be light. You need walls for there to be space. You need silence for there to be sound. And you need the Hanson brothers for there to be cold play. So there's some cross-pollination from last week's episode, Let Authenticity Replace Positivity, um, with this episode. Meaning, sometimes we need to recognize and let the evil or the bad whatever wolf talk. We don't need to feed it, but we need to recognize it that it's there. We need to honor 
and recognized and love both wolves. This is tricky, but luckily the Cherokee, they're going to bail us out on how to do this. To feed both wolves, the old Cherokee simply replied, If you feed them right, they both win. And the story goes on. You see, if I only choose to feed the good wolf, the bad wolf will be hiding around every corner, waiting for me to become distracted or weak and jump to get the attention he craves. But he will always be hungry and will always fight the good wolf. But if I acknowledge this bad wolf, just simply acknowledge him, he will be happy. And the good wolf will also be happy and we all win. For the bad wolf has many qualities. Tenacity, courage, fearlessness, strong-willed, and great strategic thinking. Um, I have named this wolf Gary. This was the name of my addiction. Gosh dang, that guy is cunning at times. And so some of the things that this bad wolf has are the very things that the good wolf lacks. And there is a way to tap into both and to recognize the qualities of both good wolf and the bad wolf at the same time. You see, son, the Cherokee continues, the good wolf needs the bad wolf at his side. To feed only one would starve the other and they will become uncontrollable. To feed and care for both means they will serve you well and do nothing that is not part of something greater, something good, something of your life. Feed them both and there will be no more internal struggle for your attention. And when there is no battle inside, you can listen to the voices of deeper knowledge that will guide you in choosing what is right in every circumstance. That would be wisdom. That would be those gut intuitions. The more both wolves are recognized, the more the balance between the yin and yang has been reached, the more gut intuition you will experience, the more wisdom you will be filled with. So if you're having an emotionally taxing day, say, hey, I feel like shit, or you're in the middle of an intense alcohol craving right now, and I know some of you who are listening might be in that emotional state, don't ignore it. I'm not saying feed it, but don't ignore it. All this voice needs to be satiated at times is just to be recognized. This is kind of like being a manager in the business world. If you're in a board meeting, you don't have to implement all the ideas that the team members bring to the table, and the team members are okay with that. They do, however, simply want to feel that their voice and suggestion was heard. It's the same concept. So before I quit drinking, I knew which wolf I was feeding. And I also made a mistake in sobriety in this journey is I completely ignored that other wolf for a couple years. And that voice, that other wolf, the evil bad wolf, again, I don't want to label it that way, but that wolf started chirping, started barking. Oh, let's go with howling. Yeah, let's go with that one. Started howling louder and louder until I had to listen. And yeah, and that's when I talk about 170, my experience with plant medicine. I was in a rough spot before I had to go down to Costa Rica um, and do a hero dose of ayahuasca. I was in a rough spot before that because I had completely ignored this second wolf. I had only been feeding the good wolf, uh, which is which is good, right? I was no longer drinking, but there was an internal unbalance. A yin and yang had not been reached. And I feel like I'm in a really good spot with that. And after the interview with Gerald, I'm going to talk to you guys about a, an experience I had uh, while meditating the other day where the, the evil wolf got me a message, and it was kind of scary. But before that, let's hear from today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? In early sobriety, I experienced some intense cravings to feel differently, and I wanted to use alcohol to make that happen. It's helpful to talk to somebody about these cravings. 
BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 24 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's counselor network, which may not be locally available in many areas. The service is available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash elevator and join the over 500,000 people taking charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. For Recovery Elevator listeners, get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash elevator. All right, let's hear from Gerald. Gerald, how are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Paul? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for asking, Gerald. And let's get right into this. How long have you been sober? I've been sober since November 16th. 2015. And that was the day that I uh, got a DUI. I was arrested for DUI on that day. Yeah, And you mentioned that was one of the best things that have ever happened to you. And we will get more into that later. But before getting further, give listeners a little background about yourself, Jared, where you're from, what you do for a living, your age, do you have a family? And most importantly, guys, I can see Gerald right now. He's got skis all behind him. Most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Sure, sure. So uh, I live here in Boulder, Colorado. I grew up in Ridgefield, Connecticut. I was born and raised in Fairfield County, Connecticut. And I went to a private school there, went to private college, graduated from there. And then soon after that, I moved out here to to Boulder. So I've been here for for quite a while now. And uh, I I love it. Love every minute of it. What, What brought you out west? Just like everyone else for the for the snowboarding, for the mountain biking. And uh, yeah, for example, uh, today I got a chance to go for a short bike ride. And uh, yeah, I take my kids uh, skiing as, as often as I can. So I still get to enjoy that, you know, years, decades later. There we go. And and guys, before I hit record, I asked Gerald how old he was, and I thought he was straight up lying to me. We're doing Skype face-to-face. Uh, Gerald is 50 years old, looking about 26 I guess this alcohol-free life, hey, the secret's out, guys. We've been talking about it for a while, um, but that's a huge bonus. It sounds like you got a family, some kids. You like to go skiing, morning bike ride. Anything else you like to do for fun? Yeah, I love to hike. I love to um, do a triathlon uh, this summer, uh, but yeah, skiing and biking are, are my passions. Have you gotten out and done any, any 14ers in Colorado? You know, I've only done a couple. I've done, of course, Long's Peak. So, yeah, that that was challenging. Um, you know, we I think we began the day at 4 a.m. So, uh, yeah, and that was uh, an ungodly hour at that at that time of my life. But now it, it's uh, it's more of my regular routine. Yeah, Long's Peak's a hard one I hear. And listeners, if if you want to want a good way to bag a 14 in Colorado in Colorado, get in your car and drive up to Pikes Peak. Have you done that? Yeah, um, I've only I've only been to the base. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. At the bottom, I went a couple of years ago. It was like 85 degrees summer day. You get to the top and it's like 45 degrees. It's nuts. Totally different climate. Yes. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, Colorado is such a cool state geographically with all the weather. Cool. All right, let's get into this. Gerald, give listeners background about your drinking. Describe your drinking habits, how much you drink. Did you ever attempt to quit or attempt to moderate, put rules into place? Uh, yeah, get us up to speed. 
Yeah. So I, you know, I started drinking in, in high school. That's when I, uh, when I started drinking, but I mean, it was, you know, very uh, occasional do it with my friends every, every once, once in a while. It wasn't a very regular thing. College. I had the typical college experience again, you know, on the weekends, you know, occasionally. And then uh, when I moved out here to, to Boulder, it was a little bit different. Um, I did, I certainly didn't drink as much cause I was, you know, training for, you know, cycling and triathlons, things like that. So I, I, I really wasn't, into it much. But then when I decided I wanted to go to culinary school, and this was when I turned 30, I decided I was going to go to culinary school. I had stopped exercising and I, I started, uh, started eating and I gained 10, 20, 30, 40 pounds. And I just thought that that was kind of like the natural process of, of getting older. But, uh, but what I had decided was back in 2011, I made a decision that I was going to lose weight. And it took me eight long months, but uh, I eventually lost 40 pounds. And wow. you know, by and large, I've been able to, to keep it off. And that was by getting back onto my bike. And, uh, and certainly cutting down on my drinking had, uh, had a lot to do with it, too. Also at that time too, and this was when I was 42, 43, I had lost my job. I was working in the technology field. I was in uh, sales marketing and uh, I'd lost my job and I started following my passion. So that was a huge swing in, uh, in my uh, pay. In fact, was this lost your job due to alcohol or laid off or? You know, it, it's, yeah, I was laid off. At, absolutely. But it, that wasn't also the, that was not the first time I had lost a job either. Oh, the pattern's emerging. Okay. Yes, a pattern was beginning to emerge. So, yeah, yeah. So, with that loss of my job, uh, I ended up moving in with my in-laws. So, me, my wife, and my two kids, we moved in with my with my in-laws, and very large house, very spacious house, and they were gracious enough to you know to take us in. But at the same time, I had not developed an exit plan to get out of that living situation. And, you know, day by day, it was really taking a, a toll on really myself as a, as a man. It really started to eat away at that. And that's when my drinking really started to progress. See, you know, I was the type of person, you know, who, you know, I drank a lot of craft beer and I drank a lot of, you know, bombers, strong brew, things like that. We used to cellar wine, so uh, pull out a nice uh, Barolo or Chateauneuf de Pop for you know for a, a nice evening. So, wine was and and alcohol was really a part of my my life. But at the same time, my drinking became worse and worse and worse. Drinking more at night alone, things like that. Sure. So it sounds like let me recap here. We're at, it's 2011 around this time frame. You've moved in with your in-laws, your whole family. Uh, it was say, hey, this sounds like a good idea, but there was no exit strategy in place. You're, you're, you're starting to ruminate. You're saying, what's the next step in life with no exit strategy? Yeah, to what happens after that? Starting to drink more and more. Yep, started to drink more and more. Lost another job. Okay. So, and this was in 2015. This was in um, April of 2015. Alcohol related? Is this the pattern starting to solidify? Uh, the pattern's starting to solidify. I was definitely uh, taking, you know, roadies home. You know, I, I, I had a, I had a job where I had access to alcohol mm -hmm. and 
yeah, it just it just really turned into, you know, that that next step and that next step. And, you know, why not this? And, you know, this won't really hurt or this won't re- really make a difference or it's not that much, you know, whatever sort of label you want to put onto it to rationalize it, to give you a reason for doing it. Yeah. And I, and I lost my job. And that was also the the time where I got into personal development. And that also became a really big, big part of my life. Okay, so let's let's back it up a little bit here. So you lost your job around this time frame, 2015. You moved into in-laws around 2011. Were there indications that alcohol was perhaps not a positive thing in your life? Did you try to to quit? Did you start to see the role that alcohol was playing in your life? Only looking backwards. Okay, that's a common answer. Yeah, yeah, but at at the time, no. I mean, I felt like I was you know doing the same thing as the rest of my friends. You know, the rest of my friends, you know drank craft beer. We would have, you know, dinner parties where we'd have, you know, nice wines. They were, you know, featured, you know, for, for dinner. So, you know, that was a part of my, you know, daily norm. So, and the norm with all of my friends as well too. So I, I, so I never really thought that I had a problem and no one, no one ever pulled me aside and said, Hey, Gerald, you know, I think you have a problem. So no one ever, ever did that. Now I did try and stop drinking. And it was probably like three weeks that, you know, I just, I made the decision and I had stopped drinking, but no one really seemed to notice. So I just went back to my you know normal and kept on drinking. Now, was this part of that self-development phase in 2015 where you said, Hey, let's try to not drink for three weeks. Yeah, it was part, it was definitely a part of that. And, you know, self-development was, was a part of that. I was also cycling every day and that, you know, that was a you know, big part of it. But like I said, you know, I really had my self-esteem tied to what other people thought and what other people thought of me. So when I wasn't getting that sort of validation that, you know, hey, Gerald, you're doing a good job or hey, Gerald, you're doing the right thing. I just let it go. And like I said, went back to my normal. Sure, sure, sure. And that's applicable to all areas when we're looking for that external validation, whether it be for any personal goal. Yeah, I get that. So, so here we are. You've been sober for almost three and a half years. What happened? What 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 happened on November fifteenth, two thousand sixteen? Or yeah, so I was on my way home from work. I was working at a brewery, and I was on my way home. And people from work said, "Hey, why don't you stop by for you know for a drink? You know, we're saying we're we're saying goodbye to so and so. So why don't you stop by for a drink?" So I proceeded to bring more alcohol from work to the party. And I had a few more beers there, had my typical shift drinks before I left, and then uh, had some more beers there. And, uh, you know, someone asked me, hey, Gerald, are you okay to drive? And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, sure, I'm fine. So I was on my way home, and I was going through this neighborhood. I was imagining, you know, me and my family living in this this neighborhood, living in one of these houses, living in one of these townhomes, and what would that be like? And you know, how, you know, how much you know happier would I would I feel being you know out of out of my in laws' house? And I came around a corner, and I hit the corner so hard that it deployed my side airbags, mm. and there just happened to be a cop sitting right there. So, wow. Okay. So is this your rock bottom moment? It sounds like, you know, that that's a, that's a good question for me. It was, it was a moment that I knew that I had to change something. Mm -hmm. So I knew that something had to be different and that I had to, had to do something different. So that was the last night that I decided that I was going to take another drink, but, but also that there was a progression 
to that as well too. So, and you know, and I'd be happy more to share share that more. But but what I you know what happened on that night was that I got kicked out of my in laws' house. I ended up losing my job a few days later. So I mean, I was really you know starting at, at ground zero again. Okay, I like how you rephrase it. Is something happened that indicated the change needed to happen? I think we need to rephrase the the thinking or, or retool the thinking around the rock bottom moment because I know I had several, but my last one you could call it a rock bottom moment. But it was also the, the best thing that could have ever happened to me. It's what what propelled me forward to make that change. And for me, that that colossal change was moving forward without alcohol. And it sounds like you lost your job. In-laws kicked you out, got a DUI. Life works in mysterious ways. It will present things, experiences, situations in your life that 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 you need. And it sounds like you needed that. Absolutely, one hundred percent. And just like he had said earlier in the in the intro, it was the best thing to happen for me. I mean, I, I think a lot of people feel like you know a lot of things happen to us. We're the mm-hmm. victims of our lives. But I felt like this happened for me. For a reason. And I, I tell you, the next day after I got my DUI, that was the first day that I had a meeting with my first coach. And I had a meeting with my first blog coach. And I had developed this blog a couple of months earlier where I was, you know, kind of writing about, you know, my cycling and, you know, writing with different people and different experiences, kind of a dear diary sort of thing. But then this propelled me from the idea of this, you know, dear diary type of blog to a business, a business where I was serving other people. And that is what I've really been devoted to my devoted my life to since then is being of service to other people. I understand my purpose now in life. And it took me a little while to to figure that out and to land on that and to discover that for myself. But it was also taking that time each morning to think about that in purposeful silence and writing it down, taking that time each day to understand what's truly important to me and what I'm here to do. Gerald, so if I'm hearing you correctly, kicked out of your parents' house, fired from a job, let go from a job, you got a DUI, and the very next day, You've got a meeting with a blog coach or, or, or a career coach to to learn about what you're doing today. That's pretty neat. That that's some synergistic events that life did for you. And love you said the DUI. None of them happened to me. They all happened for me. So I'm a firm believer in that. But listeners, that that's neat. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Am I missing something here? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we come across people in our, in our lives. What is the saying that the, the uh, teacher will appear when the student is ready? And at that point in my life, I was definitely 100% ready for something different in my life. And, and like I said, it took me some time to figure out, you know, what my purpose is, what I'm, what I'm here to do. And for me, I understand that my purpose is to empower people to change. And that's everything that I do is geared toward that to, you know, from the way that I approach my work to the way that I you know, approach my book for, to the way that I approach parenting my children. I feel like we all have this capacity to learn, that we all have this capacity to do something different than what we always did. And, you know, just because we always did it in the past isn't a good reason for, you know, continuing to do it in the future. And we all have that that capacity to change. I know so many people love to say that 
you know, well, this is just me. This is just who I am. And they're they're helpless to their circumstances or they're just helpless to the way things are. But we all have the power to change that. We all are creating our reality. Now, listeners, you heard Gerald say earlier that a pattern was starting to emerge, and we've seen a lot of patterns on this podcast. And one of them that we see all the time with almost every interviewee is that space needs to first be created before the next chapter of your life can begin. Now, during these tumultuous times, and unfortunately, sometimes we don't see what's actually happened while it's happening. They feel like they're distractions, they're, they're life trials that we can often get sucked in on them. But this is exactly what's happening, that that space was being created. And it, and it can feel like the world is shrinking, that our world is imploding. And we'll feel oftentimes we're going to feel small during this process. <laughs> and I just love this pattern every time. I, I, I see it emerging with every interview. And, and Gerald, one other pattern that we see on this podcast is that getting sober is not a cakewalk. So how did you do it? What was it like day one? I'm actually impressed you met with your blog coach. That would have been a phone call. I would have made be like, hey, dude, uh, can we push this back a week, please? <laughs> like, how did you do it? You woke up. You're like, man, I got a DUI. I got a DUI last night, but I want to get my blog started. Let's, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm still on for the meeting. <laughs> and, and that's pretty much how it was. You know, I was thinking, well, should I cancel this? Or, you know, is this really the right, the right time for this? And I thought, no, I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and go through this. I'm going to go ahead and, and take this on right now now because I feel like this is what I need to be doing right now. And it was it was really transformational for me. It was it was really it really helped me understand or at least begin to understand that there was a, a, a different, you know, a different purpose. So instead of just going to a job and instead of just doing, you know, what I'm told, I was actually creating something. I was actually giving something to, to other people. You know, again, instead of just doing what I wanted to do, I was trying to create something of value to somebody else. And that was, you know, that was really the thing that, that I would say, um, made the biggest difference in my life was being able to provide more value to people. Because look, I mean, you know, from there, I took on so many different skills that I wanted to begin to develop. I started writing every day. I started public speaking. I uh, went to a Toastmasters group and I uh, got enrolled in that and started developing that skill. Uh, I ended up uh, starting my YouTube channel and I started, uh, I started you know, speaking every day and creating videos every day on that. So it was one skill after another after another that I took on to, to develop, again, all in the idea of providing more value to people. Yeah, providing value, being of service. That's another pattern we've seen on this podcast. Great way to get out of the incessant thinking loops inside the brain and helping out others. Yes. Big time for recovery. So let's go back to some nuts and bolts. Did you, like, how did you do it in the first week too? Were there some intense cravings? Were there any, were there any challenges you overcame? Were, were 12 step meetings part of your journey? Did you have to reach out to friends and family? I imagine you got a DOI. I imagine your wife was, you're like, Hey, let's, uh, let's have a chat, sweetheart. Walk us through like all the stuff that happened that first week, two weeks, first month. Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I distinctly remember. I mean, it was really, it was really my family that that helped me out. And when I say my family, my my father, he was he was right there since you know from the moment that I uh, that I got arrested, he was the one that you know came and picked me up. So he's been there, you know, the entire way. 
and my my sister was there for me. I remember I went over to a friend's house, you know, a couple days later, poured me a tall Manhattan, my favorite drink, and you know, poured me this uh, this tall Manhattan. And I uh, got on the phone with my sister, and I probably talked to her for an hour, maybe two hours, and I never touched the drink. I ended up pouring the drink out and and not touching it. And it was that connection with my with my family. That was one of the things that made the biggest difference to me and understanding that I was moving away from something and moving towards something else. And I think that's also the biggest thing is moving towards something else, because I think so many times we're, we think about, you know, trying not to drink. I'm, I'm going to avoid, you know, and this hit me right at the holidays. So, you know. I'm going to do my best not to drink on Thanksgiving. I'm going to do my best not to drink on on Christmas. So instead of trying to avoid that, what I was really doing was I was looking forward to something. I was looking forward to creating great content. I was looking forward to spending time with my kids. I was looking forward to all these different aspects of my life rather than trying to avoid one thing. Listeners, Gerald just dropped two huge value bombs and you heard perhaps the most important word well community's a big one but he said connection <laughs> connection with my family now addiction is all about the internal disconnection and that internal disconnection is reflected in our external environments we look to mollify the internal disconnection with external sources such as alcohol behaviors thoughts and that's why we're listening to this podcast because we did it with alcohol and the second one is you've heard me say this a lot recently on this podcast this whole thing sobriety moving into life without alcohol it's not a no to alcohol but it's a yes to a better life and i absolutely love how you phrased that gerald it's not a it's not a it's not avoidance of of, of a particular substance but a yes to better experiences, better perceptives, or better better perceptions in life and in general. I absolutely love that because if we move into any decision in life from a, a, a perspective of lack, that reinforces that something is missing and we're doing that or doing an action out of fear that we don't want something to happen. For example, we're not going to drink coffee because we don't want to be tired or avoiding going through the day with droopy eyes. We're drinking coffee because we want to wake up and see the day. Man, Gerald, you lobbed that one over the plate for me. That's too easy, man. Good stuff. Love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and here's the thing. I mean, but you know, before I was literally sitting on the couch with a bottle of bourbon, with the television remote, big bag of two pound bag of Skittles in my lap, watching the series finale of my favorite show, just sitting there and waiting for my career to do something for me and my family. And guess what? It never did. It was me that had to do something. It was me that had to change. I had to do the work in order for it to work. Did you at least finish the bag of Skittles? <laughs> <laughs> I love Skittles. Sorry. <laughs> you at least finish the bag, then start your new life. And what was the show? Just out of curiosity. Mad Men. I Mad always remember. Oh, that's right. Too. I read that. I read that. Yeah. At least got to finish the series, finish the Skittles, and then boom, there you go. Get started. Yeah. And the listeners, uh, Gerald, uh, he's walking the walk. He sent me a book and I'm currently writing a book and I, I, I complimented him on this tremendous feat. It's a, just a difficult project. And, uh, it's called my morning practice, how to put down the bottle, escape me mediocrity and master your morning mindset by Mr. Gerald Rhodes. Yeah. Talk to us about, uh, the morning routine and how changing one little habit in the morning, perhaps like waking up a little earlier can, can cause tremendous change in your life. 
Yeah. So here's one of the things that I was really noticing. I was really noticing that most of the most successful people on the planet, they all had this morning routine that they were doing. And, you know, Richard Branson, for example, he plays tennis every morning. And, you know, there uh, I know that uh, Howard Schultz, you know, he's uh, he's a runner. And, you know, all these people are doing all these different things, connecting with their teams or doing some writing or a lot of them, a lot of them are exercising. And so what I decided to do, and this was back in March of, 2015, of 2016, I decided that I was going to write. So I had heard something from James Altucher, uh, the podcaster and blogger, uh, James Altucher. And he said that you should take some time every day and write down 10 ideas. And it does a couple of different things for you. One, it exercises that muscle of coming up with ideas. And two, you begin to see yourself as a person who can come up with ideas. And so that's what I started to do. I woke up about 10 minutes early than I normally did, and I would just write down these ideas. Now, a lot of them were really, really bad ideas, and sometimes it wasn't so much a list of ideas. It was more of a to-do list. So it you know, really wasn't you know, following the intention of, of what I was trying to do. Uh, idea one, paint garage. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Pick up your room, make your bed. <laughs> so not really ideas, but... Yeah, I got you. It's a start. Yeah, it's a start, exactly. But... And and that's exactly the point. It was a start. And so I did that for about a month. And then I came across this uh, biking challenge, this 30 day biking challenge of, of April. So I decided that I was going to I was going to ride my bike every day. And uh, just like I mentioned, I have a, um, a boy who's about to turn nine. My girl is 10 years old. And I was thinking that I was going to ride every afternoon, but you know, for for those of us who you know who have children, we all know that our our afternoons are no longer our, our own. You know, it's up to you know whatever's going on with soccer practice or homework or you know whatever the case may be. You know, our afternoons are are not our own. So I figured that I really had to do the bike ride in the morning. And you know, I, I live here in Boulder, Colorado. You know, one of the biking capitals of the of, of the US or the world. And, uh, you know, for me, a bike ride, a real bike ride is like 20 miles or 40 miles or, you know, people do, you know, centuries around here all the time, you know, riding 100 miles. So what I decided I was going to do was I was going to go for a short ride. I was going to ride for 20 minutes or ride for five miles. So I had to readjust my expectations around what exactly a bike ride was for me. So then I was able to add bike riding to my morning practice. And it just kind of grew from there. So it was just one thing after another, after another that I decided to add to my morning practice. And by the way, you know, that idea of, of writing down 10 ideas a day, that wasn't James Altucher's, that was Dale Carnegie's. Mm -hmm. And that was actually probably something that he got from, you know, Napoleon Hill and, and Andrew Carnegie about exercising that muscle of coming up with ideas. So what I mean to say is that there's nothing new under the sun. You know, I, I didn't, you know, certainly didn't invent the idea of exercising every morning. And I certainly didn't invent the idea of meditating every morning. And the idea of a morning routine is nothing new under the sun. But just like we were talking about before, it really cleared the space for me to be able to figure out what's most important to me. What do I want? And it gave me the time and the space to think about that, to really think about that for myself. Yeah, and, and listeners, in, in his book, you mentioned Hal Elrod, The Miracle Morning. 
And I'm a firm believer of, of having a, a morning routine. And I said the same excuse as just like a lot of other people. Well, I'm, I'm a night owl. can't do it. And you know, I, I woke up for 5 a.m. for a month. And I, I told myself I'm going to do it for a month. And I think this was in 2015. And it lasted a year and a half. And right now, organically, uh, my, my alarm set at 5.30. And it's like a 4.45 to 5.15. I don't even hit 5.30 anymore. And it's totally rewired everything. I'm not quite yes. as diligent or, or disciplined with it. But I just sometimes I just like chill out and do nothing. I don't, I don't have a routine, but it still feels really good. But what advice can you give to listeners who are new to this morning routine, how they can implement something, maybe what they can implement? I know sometimes you do things for five minutes, 10 minutes for the full hour. Walk us through like a sample morning routine that listeners can, can implement in early sobriety or any time in their journey for say. Absolutely. So, so I, th- I think the key is, first of all, is taking it, you know, one step at a time, taking it a bite size piece at a time. And listen, that's, that's exactly how I started with mine. I started by, first of all, let's, let's uh, backtrack the night before I started cutting out the television that I would watch the hours of television that I would watch every night. So I cut down on that. So I was able to go to sleep a little bit earlier. So then I was able to wake up a little bit earlier. And like I said, I'm only talking about 10 minutes, you know, that I, that I started with, I only started with 10 minutes of writing. That's how my whole morning routine began. And then I added cycling. And again, it was only 20 minutes of, of cycling that, that I added. So it wasn't like I was, you know, adding, you know, a three hour bike ride to my, you know, to my morning routine. And that's really the key is consistency. And the more and more that you're able to do it consistently, the more and more of a habit it's going to be able to create for you. So the, the, once you start, you know, you get into two weeks of it and it's, you know, it's brutal and it's excruciating um, to be able to, you know, wake up 10 or 15 minutes early. You know, trust me, I, I get that. I, I totally understand that. I used to think of myself as a night owl too. I used to work in restaurants, and uh, like I said, I was working at a at a brewery before that. I was I was working in restaurants, uh, and I always thought of myself as as a person who just stays up late. And you know, honestly, that's when I would do most of my best drinking was 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 staying up late. So the idea of waking up early was really really foreign to me. But I just took it one bite at a time, and. I first I like I said I started with writing and then I started with exercise. I read Hal Elrod's book and I implemented the entire savers to um, to my uh, morning routine. And then I settled on just having meditation in addition to the writing and the and the cycling. So today what I do is I wake up at 5 a.m. I I get out of bed and I meditate for 10, 15 minutes. And then I go for that bike ride, usually go for a five mile bike ride. Or if, uh, if I have my kids, I can't leave them alone. So I'll, I'll go for a ride on my indoor trainer. I'll do that for 20 minutes, make myself some French press coffee, and then I'll sit down and I write. And I do that every single morning. And listeners, I want to be clear, this is not a tough love podcast, as in get your arse, get your ass out of bed, 5 a.m., let's freaking do this, do some push-ups and sit-ups while you're at it. This is a self-love podcast, and and I, again, I want to be clear, this is not wake up at 5 a.m. so you can realize a six-figure income or make more money and buy bigger things and products. Sure, you can do that if that's what you please, but... I think you'll shortly find, as I did, after a couple weeks 
that hour before the sun came up, and in Montana, we get the sun early in the summertime, that hour when, when I was able to walk my dog and at 5.15, the sun came up, right around there, maybe 5.45, the sun was coming up over the mountain, that became the most serene part of my day. It became, it became what I looked forward to most. And the problems are like going to bed late. I mean, that, that solves itself. Your body will, will readjust within time. But I just want to be clear. This is, this is a self-love podcast. And yeah, you might have to, you might have to like put your alarm clock on the other side of the room for a couple of weeks, but within time, yeah, this is, this is your time. This is, this is your science project, your life project. You can do any experiment you want in this hour. And Hal Elrod has recommendations and Gerald Rhodes has some great recommendations as well. I know my favorite time was just to read a fiction book, read a book that uh, I could just like totally unwind. And I'd read a fiction book, then I'd read like a self-help book. I'd go back and forth, but I always tried different things in my routine. So I I love it. But would you agree with that? It's not like a, it's not like get your ass out of bed and and, and hit the ground running. It's it's like get your ass out, (laughs) get your butt out of bed and just chill and enjoy life. Exactly. Exactly. This is, this is my time. Okay. This is time for me. So it's not a, it's not another opportunity to beat myself up after, you know, over something that I didn't do or not to punish myself for something that, uh, that I feel like I need punishing for. It is to help me figure out and help me uncover what's most important to me. And I tell you what, one of the things that I decided to do after beginning my, uh, my morning routine, you know, through meditation, through riding my bike was one of the things that I decided was that I was going to teach my kids to ski. You know, I grew up skiing. I grew up ski racing, something that I always loved to do. I moved out here for, you know, for snowboarding. I snowboard raced. It was something that was really always very integral, you know, to my life. But then after I got married, it kind of just fell by the wayside and, you know, it just became something that was either too expensive or, you know, there wasn't enough time, you know, to, to do in our lives. But through my morning routine, again, I really was able to become present to what was most important to me. And I was able to take my kids skiing. And one of the greatest moments that I've ever had in my, in my sobriety was I'll never forget it. I was at a a ski race with my son. Uh, my son decided that he wanted to to ski race, and we were at Ski Cooper, um, which is up in Leadville, Colorado. That tiny ski resort. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And my son had come in first place in that race, wow. and that was awesome. That was awesome. But skiing back with him on our last couple of runs, just skiing with him you know, through the trees and just being with him and skiing with him, doing something that we both love to do. I mean, that was, that was just pure magic. And that was, you know, one of the, the greatest things that uh, I was able, ever able to create from my, from my sobriety. And it all came from having that morning practice, taking those few minutes every day to really think about what's most important to me. Yeah, and a couple pro tips that helped me. Number one, the first month, put your alarm clock in a different room, the bathroom. As soon as you get up, water your face, start brushing your teeth. Number two, it's a, there's some smart light bulbs out there. I think it's called the Philips Hue. And so it'll like turn a light on gradually. So you know, it's not like you wake up, pitch black, turn the light on. Oh, Jesus Christ, it's bright. It's like this calm, gentle awakening, and you can get like birds chirping on your alarm. Highly recommend that. I got a couple more questions before we hit the rapid fire round. 
Gerald, what have you learned about yourself in this journey into sobriety? I, I think it's just that, that I can learn, that I can change. I have a growth mindset. And if there is a skill out there, uh, if there is something that I, that I want to accomplish, I know that with some hard work and with practice that I can accomplish it. It was kind of like I was just hearing one of Steve's jobs, one of his speeches. And one of the things that he was talking about is that you have to realize that everything in this world has been created by another person who's no smarter than you. So it just takes the doing of it to make it possible. And we all have that power. And sobriety has really given me that, that gift to realize that that is within my reach. And I know you got a YouTube channel. If you guys want to go on and see how Gerald does not look like he's 50, um, where can we find you, your website, and, and the book? Yeah, so you can find the book on Amazon, My Morning Practice, How to Put Down the Bottle, Escape Mediocrity, and Master Your Morning Mindset. And you can find me at geraldrhodes.com forward slash book. That's a great place to, to learn more about me. And uh, you can always connect with me at gerald at geraldrhodes.com. Good stuff. And we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions in 30 to 60 seconds, that would be great. Are you ready? Ready. Worst memory from drinking, Gerald, ready, go. Worst memory from drinking was my son's fifth birthday. My, my former wife, she and I got in this huge fight. I got him this bicycle for his birthday, and it just turned into this complete mess. It was because I was I was drunk. Yeah, it was it was a it was a horrible memory, which, you know, which should have could have been, you know, a, a beautiful day. We may have already covered this might have been the DUI. But when was your aha moment indicating that alcohol had to go? I would say that my my aha moment was I had listened to this one video by Bob Proctor. And he was talking about how he would listen to records in uh, in his car. You know, this is really back in the early days. This was in the early 60s and how he would listen to to Earl Nightingale. And one of the things that he was talking about was that during this record, Earl Nightingale would come to this point where he would say, now, here we come to a rather strange fact. Why do we think that other people can have all these goals and do all these great things and then for some equally strange reason, we feel like we cannot. And I'm here to tell you that this, that simply isn't true. There are great reservoirs of accomplishments and goals and achievements inside of you. And we all have that ability to reach them. That was my big aha moment. Yeah, we can all tap into that infinite source, infinite intelligence. Love it. What's your plan in sobriety moving forward, Gerald? My plan in sobriety moving forward is is my morning practice that has uh, served me really well. I know that you know just like you're talking about, there's all sorts of ways that we can change it and adapt it. You know, adding things like reading or you know switching it up. There are so many you know great things that we can add to a morning practice or take away. And I'm talking about age old things like reading. I'm talking about visualization. I'm talking about, you know, like I, t like I talked about writing. That's how I first started. We're, we're not talking about any sort of new technology out there or something that you have to go and spend, you know, any money on, you know, it's, it's something that we all, things that we all have access to. And apart from your morning routine, what's your favorite resource in recovery? <laughs> my my favorite resource from recovery has been a book that I read by Gary John Bishop. It's called Un Un Yourself. So 
You got it. I got you. Un- un- unfuck yourself. We were good. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, that that's been one of the books that has uh, really carried me through. I listened to it. I listened to it on Audible. I love listening to books on Audible. That's also been a, a great lifeline for me. I listened to it over and over and over again. Yeah, Audible is the shit. And I did a couple. I did an episode probably four or five episodes ago, ago called the Unfuck Yourself Movement. And I walked into a bookstore, Gerald, or it was in the airport. I saw like a top 20 bestsellers and four out of five of them or four out of the 20 or, or five had, had the title unfuck yourself in somewhere in the title. There's a, there is an unfuck yourself movement happening now. And your book is part of it. My book that's coming out as part of it. This podcast is part of it. There's a global wobble happening right now. And there's, there's a large demand for un, uh, uh, you know, ways to get out of this wobble that aren't in, that aren't pill format. So absolutely love it. And in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? I think the best advice that I have ever received about my sobriety is that I am a miracle, that we are all miracles, that taking a day to not drink, t- think, taking a day to focus on your purpose, taking d- a day to live on purpose instead of living your fears, instead of living uh, in, a, in a world of lack, and instead of trying to numb yourself from your life, to live, have the courage to live your purpose is, is one of the miracles that, again, is available to all of us. And what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners? I, I would say take time, take a few minutes every day to A, do something that you love, take the th- time to think about what's most important to you. And before we depart, Gerald, give listeners your own customizer. You might be an alcoholic if line. <laughs> you might be an alcoholic if you take home white wine spritzers in a to-go cup. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Nice job. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Gerald, thank you so much for sending me a couple copies of the book. Highly enjoyed it. And thanks for joining us on the podcast. I enjoyed learning more about your story. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed being here. Okay, so it is Friday, March 22nd, probably around 3 p.m. I've got this bench where I love to go up there, listen to audiobooks, music, and just watch the weather roll. So I'm like 15 minutes into a meditation, feeling like it's going great. Thoughts are coming, but they're also going. Just let it go. And then this idea, thought, whatever, showed up in my mind and it was uncomfortable it was this evil wolf saying that hey paul actually you know what i'm not gonna say what this wolf said i feel like i've put a lot of my personal life out here on the podcast but uh so i'm not gonna do it and that's okay it's just you don't need the details of this story but whatever the wolf told me it scared the shit out of me um, it, it kind of has something to do with the law of manifestation your external environment mirrors your internal environment and there have been some things externally um, and internally that I, I, I was running away from that I didn't want to feel, um, but I was able to see clearly that, no, that, that's this wolf howling louder and louder. So it was scary. For about two hours, for about 3 to 5 p.m., I was on the bench kind of freaking out. My wheels were spinning. I was, I was spinning out a little bit, and I, I made some calls. I talked to my brother. I, I, I actually called several people in my recovery network. And right about 5.30, something strange happened. And I know this is going to sound weird. It's going to sound woo-woo. And I've done some Google searches, and I don't know how to explain it. 
And again, last episode, I talked about how my asthma has just disappeared. Again, this is strange. I'll freaking take it having asthma, spending 150 bucks or 130 bucks a month on a, on a medication is not fun. Yeah. I'll definitely take this tailwind in life. Um, and here's another one that I can't really explain, but here's what happened. So on the left hand, on my left side of my body, I've known there's been some blockages. My eyesight is not as good as my right side. There's lower left back pain that hurts. It's not debilitating, but it's always been there. My lower left leg is not as quite as strong as my right leg. It's a lower left leg, my left quad, and my left calf. Um, and then my left cheek sometimes goes numb. I've known this for a while. Blockage on the left side of my body. Um, but what happened after that, around 5.30, is that side of my body started to hum. It started to vibrate. It started to tingle. And it felt good. It felt great. In fact, as I'm recording this episode right now, it feels like my left foot is in a bowl of honey. I don't really know how to explain it any different than that. It's just sweet. It's like molasses going up and down um, like a golden ray of light that's been going up and down just the left side of my body. And I don't know. I don't want to label it as good and bad. It was kind of scary at first, but it's like, hey, let's roll with it. And all it stemmed from was for me sitting on a bench, quieting the mind enough where that evil wolf, bad wolf, again, I don't want to call it evil or bad. Um, I was able to recognize, simply allow that message to get past the analytical mind from the actual unconscious mind to the conscious mind. And I was able to see it for what it was. The body either releasing energy, uh, built more circuits, I don't know. But physically, since then, and I'm recording this on May 2nd. This comes out uh, June 3rd, so uh, da, 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 March 22nd. So it's been almost a month and a half, and the left-hand side of my body has been vibrating at like a higher frequency. I, I don't know what it is, but like I said, I'll take it. It feels great. I can just sit in a chair and just, just go with it. Let it roll. Um, we don't have to think our way out of all these problems. Sometimes the body is going to do the work if we allow it. So good wolf, bad wolf, just a wolf in general. They both need to be recognized. They both need to be heard. Some cool unexpected things can happen on this journey at any time. That's the beauty of it. I didn't know on March 22nd at 3 p.m. Uh, the, the evil wolf was going to get me a message. Then two and a half hours later, my, my body was going to build some circuits and I was going to be you know tingling and and feel like I'm dipped in molasses just on the left-hand side of my body. I had no idea that was going to happen, but I'll take it. And we don't need to think our way through this stuff and, and solve and label, oh, this is what's happening. It's just happening. And I'm going to damn well let it happen because it feels good. All right, recovery elevator. You know, we're going back to the old tagline. Took the elevator down. we got to take the stairs back up. I love you guys. We can do this.